Generative AI is here to stay. Will misinformation destroy the very notion of truth? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The ability of artificial intelligence to create new information has increased by leaps and bounds in recent years, but it can also create a wealth of misinformation. We're at the point now where it's becoming increasingly difficult to tell the difference between the two. Are we headed for a world in which deep fakes and lies are so prevalent that there's no longer any consensus about the truth of anything? On this episode, we're going to explore the implications of modern-day AI on messaging and marketing in the media and the information that we consume daily. My guest is Mark DeMassimo, founder and creative chief of the Digo Agency. We'll learn how far AI has come in shaping our everyday reality and whether it's in danger of making misinformation king. We'll also talk about the potentially positive effects of this rapidly developing technology. Should we be excited, scared, or a little of both? Here's my conversation with Mark DeMassimo. Mark DeMassimo, welcome to the show. Bob, so happy to be here. We're seeing recently an explosion of concern over the dangers of the latest manifestation of artificial intelligence in the form of chat GPT and related stuff, even from the companies that are bringing it to market. What is the greatest fear here? I think the greatest fear is that we may be in the process of inventing something or letting something invent itself that becomes smarter than we are. And so that we we can't put the genie back into the bottle. That's a concern because that just creates a different context for human living and survival than than we've ever experienced before. That's what a lot of folks bring up. But there are other concerns that are perhaps a little closer to our current or recent experience. And I would say chief among those is the spread of powerfully influential false information, the spread Mm. of really, really damaging lies and fakes. Certainly we've had that prior to artificial intelligence, but what's the idea here that AI is weaponizing that or just bringing it up to a new level of effectiveness? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question, Bob, and you're absolutely right. Clearly we've dealt with a, a lot of fake news. We've dealt with We're dealing with a lot more of it because of the way social platforms amplify and the way their algorithm preferentially lend amplification to things that are upsetting, horrifying, titillating, or confirming negative biases, etc. So Mm -hmm. there's an amplification effect we weren't experiencing before, even though, of course, there were fake news stories long before social media, but they're more disruptive now. What social media has done for the media side of this, AI is going to do for the content creation side of this 
in order to create a horrifyingly convincing future hellscape, you would have needed a fairly large budget. The most famous commercial like that of all times, considered the best commercial ever made, is Apple's 1984 Super Bowl ad for the Mac, in which an IBM or Microsoft-like big brother had turned everybody into drones. It was directed by Ridley Scott. It cost millions of dollars. It ran once, and it's famous. But with generative AI, almost anyone with access to technology and a little bit of persistence is going to be able to create things that are realistic, things that are powerful. And so there's just a real spread of this technology, a democratization in a sense, technology. Well, that famous 1984 ad was really a, a more of an example of movie-style production values. I don't think that that spot itself represented misinformation. It might have been considered like negative advertising to the extent that it reflected poorly in IBM and the others. But it wasn't a lie per se, right? It wasn't trying to make us believe something with those production values that was manifestly untrue. Yes, thank you so much for pointing that out. I, I don't want to cast dispersions on Apple or on on that great spot. Uh, yes, I was referring more to the style of the advertising and not, not just that it was high production value, but that it was almost like a nightmare set in the future. And this yeah, is a particularly yeah. powerful, when you can sort of mimic the nightmares or dreams and you capture or resonate with a fear that people have, it can be very powerful. So, yes, it was very expensive for them to do it. They did it in the service of commercial intent, arguably, to make a good point. But the same set of techniques can be used to effectively spread lies or propaganda. That could become a problem. It could also empower yeah. people on the positive side. It could empower people, small groups, to make their points powerfully. It's not all negative, but the concern is about the the spread of obviously deep fakes, things that look real that aren't real, we believe will be harder and harder to distinguish. We've already seen the phenomenon of people consuming fake news of some kind, believing it, and then being resistant to later evidence that what they believe is untrue. So, well, just a yeah, well, another another element to take into account is that since that ad ran so many years ago, we've seen such great advances in CGI and computer generated imagery. So maybe it's almost like you have this trilogy or this, this triad. You have so, the power of social media. You have CGI, which has reached enormous proportions. It's just so much more effective. And on top of that, now we have AI and deep fake. So it's almost like if you combine those three things, that's where you get the so-called perfect storm and the hellscape that you described uh, just a few minutes ago, right? <laughs> You're absolutely right. Back in 1984, I was working with my friend Rudy Pote on early CGI. We had a silicon graphics machines. And Rudy would create one second of animation. And then we would have to wait for the machine to render it all night. Mm. Or we can mm -hmm. work on morning. If there was a mistake, another 24-hour period for that one second. So the advancement of that technology and the fact that going from absolute experts, 
spending an hour or days to, to create a second than letting the machine work on it for 24 hours to today where you give a few prompts to the machine and it is producing amazing CGI-like results in seconds. Well, okay. So ultimately, though, as you see this down the line, do you think this speaking as a creator, a founder of a creative agency, and you're trying to reach consumers and you're trying to reach the public with messages on behalf of your clients, do you think this is all going to lead to consumers and the public believing everything they see or believing nothing that they see? There was a thing said about P.T. Barnum that <laughs> his form of entertainment was actually consumer training for a caveat emptor, let the buyer beware society. And that, in fact, people really enjoyed his put-ons to a certain extent because they liked being tested in that way. And it was relatively harmless for the most part. So I do think that people learn and they'll be trained and we'll also have technology to help us. What we're experiencing is a bit of future shock because it's coming so fast. The change is coming faster than we as humans can adjust to it. And yeah. at least in the lag, it hurts and it's scary and it's also just uncertain. So I do think there's a certain amount of shock around this. It's really interesting and it is, I believe, unprecedented. I mean, probably since nuclear weapon technology was invented. It's unprecedented for the people who created the technology to be in the lead and warning. So that, that tells you something. I, I guess the only other modern parallel is the development of genetic modifications through tools like CRISPR. You have some of these uh, geneticists actually issuing the same kind of warnings about perhaps putting a pause on research, worrying about that where that's going to go. So there is kind of a parallel development that's, that's on our modern great. times, too. That's a great point. Uh, you've just increased yeah. my future shock because you're right. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Let me just mention, though, in the short term, at least, it appears that people believe everything that they see because look how the Internet blows up at the slightest rumor immediately. Nobody says, well, gee, I wonder if that's true. I'm going to research it before I post something. That doesn't seem to be happening. People go crazy the moment they read something without bothering to think about whether it's true or not. So at least in the short term, is it possible that people believe everything they see and hear? There are a few of us who I guess we're party poopers who make it a point of going to places like Snopes and investigating uh -huh. the truth of things that we see. And my sense is that m most people out in social media r really probably do see us as downers, as buzzkills in a sense where it's entertainment, it's signaling. I don't want to use those words, virtue signaling. I personally would like to see more virtue. Uh, so mm. <laughs> by all means, no virtue versus some of the other stuff that I see people signaling. But I think it's social signaling. It's it's attempts to entertain each other. It's attempts to get attention to sort of enjoy reality as if it's fiction or fiction as if it's reality. And us truth seekers are probably not being seen as added to the fun. Conversely, I just think that those of us who've thought a little bit about the effects, realize that it's not a party that's, that's just where 
everybody goes home and they feel great afterwards. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of anxiety and depression and drug use and feeling out of control and all of those things that seem to be increasing. So yeah. the truth to be able to help. Well, your mention of Barnum, your impl- implication was that even back then, people, you, 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 I think you were saying people actually enjoyed what Barnum was doing. And by that, I think you're, you, maybe you mean that they kind of knew it wasn't true, or, but they enjoyed just kind of playing with it anyway, that it was just part kind of an entertainment thing. Is that also happening here in our modern times that people, they don't necessarily buy the stuff that's coming through, but it's, it's just fun to kind of continue to peddle it, spread it around, share it, and just engage in it. They're absolutely part of the supply chain for that reason. I think that there's really something in that. At least a certain percentage of the audience wants to deal with the media by engaging. Whether they feel it's a game or not, it becomes a bit of a game. And when you see people arguing in social media comments, it's a form of jousting. They're thrusting and parrying and really trying to improve their skills. And they they feel it's a test. Sometimes they're frustrated. Maybe they want approval and they're getting disagreement. Or maybe they actually want to outrage people in order to win and they're getting something else. But they certainly see it as a serious game. They also, I think, see these skills as skills that are becoming important for life. You live in a world where anything you do or say in most contexts could become public on social media, right? You could find yourself the subject of public criticism. And I think people are preparing for that to some extent. So they'll engage with AI in the same sort of spirit. And certainly for me as a creative person and as an entrepreneur, I'm playing with AI. I'm learning the advantages the both business and creative I can get from it. I'm suggesting other creative people do that. I I just think that's the way we roll. Well, there are huge creative possibilities for you. Obviously, as you say, this tool can be used for wonderful things too. But as the founder and creative chief of a creative agency, how do you see your role, Mark, in perhaps educating or entertaining people? I mean, I understand that you have this concept of positive behavior change marketing as part of what you do. Some of what we're talking here certainly can't qualify as positive. (laughs) How do you take that kind of attitude and approach and apply it to this questionable development in technology? (laughs) Uh, Well, that's, that's a, that's a big question. And that's, that's exactly how I think of it. Positive behavior change marketing is all about trying to understand the power that's out there to use creative marketing, to change behavior and to figure out how to tilt the scales toward the more positive behaviors that help people live happier, more fulfilling, more fulfilled, more productive, healthier lives. One of the things that I recommend, I've written about this and spoken about it, is that people advertise to themselves, that people leverage the power that's out there to advertise to themselves because advertising works for changing behavior. And you're the target for everybody else out there if there are things you want to achieve in your life, advertise to yourself. So first off, there already are AIs out there, and I don't remember their names. You can Google them that are specifically tailored to help you and encourage you as you go through your day. So if people are working remotely, have a little time alone, you can actually talk to an AI about problems you're facing and you can get some help. 
You mm-hmm. can also ask to be persuaded in a certain way. Do you want to meditate? You can ask an AI how it can help you to make sure that you do. You want to eat healthier. Remember to drink a glass of water in the morning. Remember to reach out to a friend or a relative. You can actually interact with AI in such a way that the AI generates strategies for you, reminders for you. So there's there are ways to use this power to influence yourself positively. And it's just a matter of being aware of that and experimenting. Okay, so that's the ethical side of it. And that sounds like it could be really powerful. In the meantime, though, what can we do to kind of tamp down or minimize the negative side? Um, Maybe in some ways, AI can itself be a tool for identifying fake AI. Maybe there's some kind of guardrails or limitations that we should be putting on it. What's your feeling about that? Well, I do think that our best security thinkers need to be thinking about this. And I'm sure that they are. It's a multi-level game. And this is part of what makes it really challenging because clearly a geopolitical competition. We hear people calling for a pause in the industry and all of that. But I think you and I know, one, America is ahead. Two, America needs to stay ahead if, if we possibly can in this without creating a level of, of problem that gets out of our control. So, I mean, that that's a, a little bit over my pay grade, but I'm sure that the best <laughs> minds, if I can use these words in a sentence, the best minds in D.C. or uh, in, in the Pentagon are thinking about this right now. Mm-hmm. I think we can raise awareness as professional users of the technology. We can talk about, share about what we learn. Um, that's partly part of what I'm happy to be doing here today with you. No one's really an expert yet. And we all have something to add to this conversation. So let's let's just be awake. Well, you know, it already feels like even before the coming of chat GPT and the like, it already feels like we're very close in our culture to having no shared notion of truth anymore. Do you think that it's a possibility that AI will just kind of put a button on that and that will be what it is going forward? Or are you optimistic that perhaps this can lead to some consensus about what is real, what is real information, what is misinformation? Do you, are you at all optimistic down the line that that could happen? In the short term, I'm unsure. In the midterm, I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic. In the long term, I'm optimistic. The reason for that is this is what you learn as a marketer, as an advertising person, as a brand marketer. Whatever the problem is, if you wait a while, people will get bored and it will change. Hmm. So, And that's unfortunately true about good things as well, that people get bored with them and, and move on, which is unfortunate. But generally, no matter what's going on, People eventually get bored with it and they move on to to a new set of problems. So in the long run, I'm optimistic. I do think AI and deep fakes, et cetera, could create a crisis, the worst in the short run, that leads to the need for new thinking about regulation. This is one area where I'm not an unqualified fan of Elon Musk, I can tell you, and his ownership of of Twitter, but uh, but he's a very smart person. And in some respects, he's saying some things that I agree with. He talks about the difference between free speech and free reach. Reach 
for us advertising folks is the number of people who get to see the message. So he's saying free speech is good and not so dangerous, but free reach or amplification, taking certain messages and then just amplifying them thousands or millions of times is really the problem. So people should Mm -hmm. have free speech. They should not have free reach or amplification is what he's saying. And I couldn't agree more. I'd like to see that implemented. I think we're going to need regulations. Mm -hmm. To some extent, this started when cable television led to the deregulation of news. Before that, we had limited channels for news on TV. We had fair balance where they had to present, quote, both sides. And it all seems very quaint now. What developed after that is a free market for beliefs sponsored mostly by advertising, which really meant that the not the truest beliefs, but the beliefs that could hold the most eyeballs were the ones that won. And that's a problem. Mark DeMassimo of Digo, I want to thank you so much for spending time to talk to me about this really interesting and thorny issue. Who knows how it's all going to play out, but I certainly appreciate your insights. Thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you. I love the conversation and you made me think. That was my conversation with Mark DeMassimo of Digo, talking about AI and the spread of misinformation. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.